0: Hello, and welcome to the Conquering Columbus podcast, the only show that allows you to learn Columbus through the lives of its leaders. And for those of you who don't know what we're about, we bring guests from around the city that are leading in their respective fields and interview them about their lives and how they got to where they are today, amongst other things. And today we have Emery Coxwell joining us, and Emery is a professor at Ohio State, along with the founder and CEO of Data Anchor. Henry has a great story, and I believe we can all learn a lot from him and his experiences. But before we get to that interview, we want to take a quick moment to thank some of our sponsors here on the show. And that starts with Social Ventures.
1: Headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio, one of our sponsors, Social Ventures. They offer resources, programs, and accelerators in social enterprise, and they act as a primary network for social enterprise activity in central Ohio. You can learn more at socialventurescbus.com. That's com.
0: And our next sponsor is FMX. FMX is a computerized maintenance management system that helps organizations accelerate their operational success. And FMX enables you to streamline processes, increase asset productivity, and turn actionable insights into meaningful results. If you'd like to learn more, check them out at their website, GoFMX.com. That's G O fmx.com.
1: Another one of our sponsors is Path Robotics. Path Robotics is a robotics-based artificial intelligence company with a focus on the manufacturing sector. The company's mission is to make robotics simple and possible for companies of all sizes across their entire value chain. So present day, the company has developed the world's first and only fully autonomous welding robot. No humans, you pay as you go, and all you need to know is how to press the go button. You can learn more at path-robotics.com. That's P-A-T-H robotics.com.
0: All right, Conquerors, that's all we got for today. Let's jump into the interview. You could drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get, you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what?
1: This
0: is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. Today on the show, we've got Mr. Emery Coxell, and Emery is the founder and CEO of Data Anchor, a data security startup that helps companies keep their secure data safe, even when sharing it with team members and other remote teams Emery is also a professor at The Ohio State University and earned his PhD in Electrical Engineering and Computer Science from MIT. We're really excited to have Emery on today to hear his story and learn more about Data Anchor. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Emery.
2: Thank you very much. I love that emphasis on The Ohio State the
0: University. The Ohio State. State, that's right. Well, we're both buck guys here, so you know we always got to add to the, the, but uh, so one of the first places we like to start, Emery, is just talk a little bit about life leading up to today. So. Sure how you came to be a professor at Ohio State, founding of Data Anchor. We'll get to Data Anchor, but we wanted to see any highlights along the way from childhood all the way up through college, getting your PhD, wherever you feel stands out.
2: Sure, sure. Uh, I was born in uh, Ankara. Uh, It's the capital of Turkey. So uh, to describe Ankara, I will uh, give an anecdote here. So I got married there. My wife is also a professor at Ohio State, so we met Uh, in the U.S. and we got married uh, back in Turkey and we had a guest um, you know from the U.S. and uh, you know they came a little early and they spent some time in the city in Ankara and uh, you know the next day he came to me and he said oh I love this city it's just like my hometown I said okay I was expecting hey is it like New York DC you know Chicago so what's your hometown he said Cleveland so (laughs) Uh, I'm from the Cleveland of uh, Turkey and uh, you know it's not super interesting but you know it has not some nice colleges there. Uh, I went to college there as well uh, in uh, electrical engineering and then uh, you know right after i completed college uh, uh, got my degree and got an offer for a uh, an assistantship and admission from MIT uh, again in my field EECS, electrical engineer and computer science and uh, i came to the us uh, this is way back in 1996 so uh, i'm revealing my age as well so uh, uh, it was very inspiring i uh, that was the great time to do research in the field that I'm doing research. It's uh, networking, wireless communication, cybersecurity. I mean, it was the internet boom times. Uh, you know, I worked there, I was at the Lincoln Labs. Uh, my uh, uh, advisor at the time, he took some time off uh, of MIT. He uh, built a company, he was the CTO. It was right in my real eyes. I, I was working on some problems on optical networking. I said, okay, should I join or no, should I stay for PhD? I said, yeah, let me stay. And sure yet, uh, you know, the company became wildly successful. You know, the stock price, you know, more than quadrupled overnight when they did an IPO and everybody got rich. Yeah, I mean, I said, okay, that's okay. I'll do it by myself at some point later. And, uh, you know, when I got my PhD and graduated, it was the worst time. Uh, to do uh, an entrepreneurship or uh, an endeavor like that, uh, it was the uh, you know the technology bus times you know 2003. So I said okay, uh, I'll stay in academia for a while. I was a researcher in Switzerland for two years, and then I came to uh, OSU uh, as a faculty member. You know, loved it. Really nice place. Great colleagues there. I always had the passion of building technologies and uh, you know, I licensed out a few technologies to a few local uh, startups as well as some larger companies in Silicon Valley. And at some point when I was working with my current co-founder, we came up with the idea for Data Anchor. It was fantastic, I mean, so uh, it was more fancy at the time. We were uh, solving a very difficult problem. I loved it, I said, I'm not gonna license this out, this out. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna build it myself. And uh, you know, uh, we uh, teamed up with him. Uh, he's currently my co-founder, and he's uh, the CTO. He's handling the developmental side of things, uh, where I'm the CEO right now. Uh, we um, won an award. We built a prototype. You know, it was fancy. I can tell you more about it but you know, I don't wanna bore the listeners uh, with the details of the technology at this point. But we uh, won an award in a top conference, raised some uh, state funding, some uh, minimal amount, uh, and then we took it from there.
0: So throughout that process, you know, I guess taking a step back, you know, how did you meet your co-founder? When? Why did you come to OSU in the first place?
2: Uh, when did, why did I or he came?
0: To so me? why did you choose to come to OSU to be a professor okay. when you were working in Switzerland?
2: All right, sure. So uh, first off, it's, a, uh, it's an amazing place. So it's, it's a great place to do research. Uh, it's a top research institution. Obviously, that's the number one reason. The second reason, which is at least as important, is my wife and I uh, you know, had the two-body problem. So uh, we were looking for a position uh, together in the same city, in the same location. We got an offer together and OSU was very helpful in accommodating both of us. Both of us. So um, uh, we chose OSU and um, we are here now.
1: So you mentioned that the idea and the concept that you guys won the award with, that you, the problem you were first solving is different than what we're at today, is, is that right?
2: Yeah, yeah. So,
1: so I wouldn't mind talking about if you if dive into, you know, you hear a lot of founders, they start off and they're kind of emotionally attached to their idea, mm-hmm, they know mm-hmm. they've solved something very brilliant mm-hmm. and they're not able to iterate and step away when the market tells mm-hmm. them they don't need maybe something that uh, is quite as sophisticated. So what does that look like for you? Yeah,
2: guys? great question. So uh, exactly, so it's, that's especially true with academic startups, you know. Uh, you solve a uh, very difficult problem, you're proud of yourself, you say, hey, this is fantastic, I love the idea. Uh, uh, and uh, because of the reason you mentioned, what ha- tends to happen is it uh, you know turns out to be a niche problem, you know, solves a specific, very difficult uh, 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 issue, but not necessarily uh, cover the broad market because people are attached to their ideas. So uh, originally we were using like sound waves to control data, which is very fancy, kind of new idea. Uh, We had a very cool demo, everybody was amazed. But then, you know, we received questions from people. You have to talk to people, right? You have Mm -hmm. to talk to people in the industry. You have to talk to investors. You shouldn't be closed. I mean, if you uh, close yourself to your shell and never share the details because people may steal, it won't work. So we started talking and people, uh, you know, brought up some issues. uh, Say, how, how are you gonna manage all these devices in an enterprise setting? You know, how are you gonna do this in uh, this particular market and so on and so forth. So we uh, kind of pivoted. I mean, we moved to uh, something more marketable. The idea of uh, controlling data was still new, but uh, we didn't uh, remain attached to the how, right? Uh, so we kind of moved away from that and made it uh, more easily integrable, easily deployable. The other important question was, uh, ease of integrity. By uh, nature, people are lazy. So if you present a solution which is difficult to manage, difficult to integrate, it's not necessarily going to remain on top of their priority list unless it's a very specific problem. For instance, say DOD, Department of Defense, solving a something which doesn't exist for the uh, soldiers deployed in the field, yeah, they will adopt it. But otherwise, it's not going to be broadly adopted. So you have to uh, move and you have to be flexible.
1: So what feedback did they give you? Can you, can you talk about it at a high level? Like I mean, you can even go into the weeds because I think our sure. listeners wouldn't mind that. I'm, I'm curious to hear what kind of feedback you're getting from the investors in the market and how that pivot went in detail.
2: Sure. So data anchor is about controlling data, right? So at the high level, what we do is, you know, in the existing paradigm, All these organizations, they have massive amounts of data, right? So they have very sensitive data. Uh, They are very careful about who to share it with. They uh, refrain from sharing it, and they're even anxious when their employees and partners are consuming that data, right? Because you lose control. I give up data by nature. Digital data is replicable and shareable and universally consumable. So it's difficult to control the data once I give it up. Okay. So in the existing paradigm, access means ownership. If I give up access, it equates ownership. I can take it back. right? And Data Anchor basically solves this problem. We give a mechanism and we empower organizations to be able to share data, be able to uh, give the right to consume the data without giving up the ownership of the data. So at any given point in time, you can take it back. So my employees, hey, take this data, take this, uh, p- these patient records if you're healthcare, take these financial records if you're uh, in a financial institution, a bank. Uh, but at any given point in time, you know, just because you're consuming it doesn't mean you can replicate it or you can have ownership of it. We can, at any given point in time, pull it back. So that's, that's our power. One of the things that's also uh, unique about data anchors, we can associate contexts, what we call context. What it means is that, hey, this data can only be consumed in this building. This data doesn't go out of this geography, right? This data uh, can only be uh, accessible to these people within the organization. So there's this notion of context. What we have done is, uh, we have made that context sound waves, which means, you have a specific seed that's played over sound waves. You put a speaker somewhere, we play that seed, and whenever your device gets that seed from the microphone attached, it would be uh, uh, giving you the right to decrypt the data, right? Anytime you take it away from those sound waves, no, uh, it is back Mm. to ciphertext. So uh, we are in a conference room right now, you can even, narrow down the context as big as this conference room right so i can say that hey board this room uh, consume data take it out uh, it's revoked it turns into ciphertext come back in again plain text so this was a fancy demo Mm -hmm. people loved the demo we got the award okay uh, because it's such a fancy thing Mm -hmm. but i mean we keep kept receiving questions like hey uh, who's going to manage those speakers? You know, who's going to? Uh, if you deploy in an enterprise, say 500 of them, you can assume uh, on a, on an average day at least one or two of them will be broken. Who's going to manage that? So, and also that notion of very narrow context wasn't necessarily gaining some traction. We mm-hmm. said, so, okay, doesn't have to be some. I mean, we are uh, we mastered that. Doesn't have to be. We can make it more broad. We can even make it like doesn't have to be physical it can be logical associated to certain rules but we kept the core value which is you know retaining control of the data even when people consume it and being able to pull it back anytime you want or anytime rules are broken but we uh, made the management and integration part much simpler so uh, the feedback was uh, uh, useful and uh, you know, it's, it's deployable within a uh, course of a few hours right now. So uh, we made it more practical, you
0: know. Yeah, but that's still really cool. That, now that you've explained it, the concept of having it, you know, being in a room with specific sound levels and, mm-hmm. and being able to limit access and that. I mean, it's really, it is a really cool idea yeah. and concept. So, uh, Thanks. but talking about that, so once you've kind of pivoted and you get to the point where you're now, you know, have a product that's deployable how do you start going about getting customers? Did you have customers in mind early on? What's that process
2: look no, like? No, that's, yeah, that's a great question. So uh, first off, uh, you know, th- there are three processes, right? So one of them is this uh, so-called product market fit, which means you have to uh, get sales. The second thing is product development, all right? Uh, and, uh, you know, you have to manage those two together. You cannot have, uh, you know one say product market fit let me solve that question first and then develop the product unless your product is not sophisticated because i mean you may get the need you have an understanding of it but uh, uh you know if you go uh, on building it it may be very difficult right and you don't you cannot pull it necessarily so it has to work hand in hand so there's this uh, area of feasibility, what you can build, and then there's this area of fit, and you have to get understanding of uh, both of them simultaneously. So that was the challenge. So how did we, uh, uh, you know, we we started uh, with the product, Uh, we had a patent pending uh, through OSU, we licensed it out uh, from OSU as the company, and we worked on building it. And then at some point it becomes apparent what you can do and what it will turn into. And the fortunate thing for us is that the need for what we are building was fairly broad. It wasn't that you know we had a, uh, an unpleasant surprise where we found out that hey, we built this but there's not, no market for it. We still have a significantly broad market including uh, healthcare, finance, military, academic, DOD, um, you know, R&D. So uh, there's a broad market for data control. You know, first sales, uh, it's difficult to sell because we are not coming from a sales background as the core team. Then I uh, started uh, putting together uh, a uh, stronger uh, product and sales team expanded uh, in that uh, area. And um, You know, uh, we started getting some customers. There is always an interest for what we are doing, but once the product matured up, we started having uh, a significant amount of uh, deployments and uh, POCs, proof of concept deployments. People started testing, people loving the idea, wanting to test it on their own systems. And then a bunch of them turning into actual contracts, paying customers. Again, still because of the broad need, uh, we have customers all over. We have uh, a high tech from a charge point, uh, one of our uh, customers using Data Anchor in their systems. We have a, uh, multiple healthcare organizations uh, securing all of their patient records with Data Anchor. So um, you know, we have uh, R&D and um, you know, uh, lately uh, it's gotten also a bit different. The market changed with the, uh, you know, overnight the entire workforce turning remote. Uh, and we keep hearing about new needs, new problems that we can solve. I mean, just today before I came here, I was talking with a uh, an organization uh, that was arranging Travels, scheduling travels for uh, big travel agencies. Obviously their business uh, stopped in the last few weeks, right? Uh, From tens of millions of hits, it dropped to tens of thousands of hits. So orders of magnitude reduction in the business. So what they have done is, they have turned their business into uh, scheduling COVID-19 tests, okay? which is fantastic. I mean, we, we love it. We, we are looking forward to helping with this new uh, era. And uh, they reached out to us and asked, hey, we are subjected to HIPAA. That's not something that HIPAA means, you know, you can, because you'll be accessing patient records, you have to keep it encrypted and you have to have control over uh, those records. And they've asked us if we can help with that. So how can we uh, make them HIPAA compliant? And uh, that's in our wheelhouse. We uh, made sure that their databases are uh, secured in such a way that everything is smooth as before. They can do uh, their test scheduling. We can help people. And they remain HIPAA compliant. So, uh, uh, you know, it's transformed. The problems are changing, and our market is uh, uh, transforming, and we are uh, adopting
0: Hey there, conquerors! We want to take a quick moment to talk about one of our sponsors, Studio 301. Kyle and his team have helped us redesign our website, taking the podcast in a new direction that we truly love. And we have some incredible guests here on the show. And Studio 301 has given us a website that reflects the caliber of the people that join us.
1: And the Studio 301 team can help you with everything from brand strategy and redesigns to market research, videography, social media overhauls, and a whole lot more. You can go check them out at studio301.org. That's studio301.org. So when you're doing something so disruptive and you're at such a unique point of the company, I mean, I kind of see there's probably some interesting scenarios. I can't imagine many oppositions aside from maybe you have people who don't believe it works or they're not aware of how serious of a issue it is. So are you educating the market as you go? What, what's some of the oppositions that you're hearing as you're trying to
2: try yeah. to sell? Uh, yeah, great question. So, uh, exactly. So they, yeah, you, you explain the uh, gist of the product. They don't believe it, but you can easily overcome it by uh, showing a demo, right? You can demonstrate it in action, which we do. And that's the most fun part of our interactions typically, the demo parts. You know, we, we show it to people, and people are typically uh, uh, amazed. Amazed by, hey, um, you know, I have never seen anything like this before. That's kind of the typical response that we get. So that part we can uh, uh, overcome. There are other challenges, as you have mentioned. For example, with security, uh, uh, one interesting thing is you know ignorance is bliss people don't want to know because if they know they have a problem they have to address it so we have seen instances in which we people said hey okay i don't want my systems to be changed right now because if you show a vulnerability they have to do something about it and they are not they think they don't have the infrastructure they don't have the resources to address that problem that's another thing you know the third thing is Um, you know, CISOs, okay, uh, you know, their job is to keep organizations secure, right? So when you put, just as an example, when you put CISOs and CEOs together on the same room, uh, CISOs never admit that they have a problem, right? Naturally. So they say, hey, we sold this. This problem is covered. We we don't have this problem because uh, we address it. So that is the typical response you get. And... uh, uh, people are naturally conservative about uh, trying new things uh, or accepting that they have a problem. So uh, you have to convince them. And uh, uh, you know, one of the things you should do is you should convince them that your solution is simple. You don't uh, expend IT resources in managing it. Okay? And it's solving a real problem for you. Okay, so once you convince them of the tree, it's an easier path towards success.
1: So as you guys are looking to overcome those challenges and you're thinking about the fact that your market is so vast, um, another you know, common theme that you hear amongst startups is that such a large market can actually cripple you as opposed mm-hmm. To, mm-hmm. to the small market. So how is, have you guys begun to hone in on where you're going to target for the next mm-hmm. six, 12, mm-hmm. 18 months as you scale?
2: Sure, sure. So uh, you see traction. So it, it is a uh, good problem to have if your market is broad and if you're seeing traction from a uh, you know, wide variety of fronts. right? So you, you, there are buyers in all the, in the industries across the board. But as you said, you have to remain focused because you have limited resources and uh, you have to consume them carefully. You have to put some focus into that. You know, you can put that focus uh, both on the business side and on the product side, but the main uh, thing that you have to be careful about is on the product side. So the product needs to be focused. You cannot ask your development team to build one product one day and a completely different product the next day. They have to remain focused, uh, yet, they have to kind of within the main circle. They should be flexible in moving some of the features uh, around. We have a very uh, solid, uh, super solid development team. You know, we kept, you know, almost the entire team intact for more than uh, 18 months right now. So now they are the world class experts in uh, what we are doing. So uh, pivoting and solving slightly slight variations of the same big problem is very easy for us it takes a few weeks so that's how we get the focus on the product side i mean if somebody asks for a completely different problem you should say no okay so the perhaps more challenging problem is on the business side right so you have to have focus in that as well because if you want to sell to enterprises they have you know their own marketing cycles. They have their own uh, uh, sales process. If you want to sell to uh, small to mid-sized businesses, it's a different story. So you have to ha- find your sweet spot and uh, you know uh, focus in that front as well. And what we have realized on the business side is we solve people's problems. We don't necessarily, say, go to a big enterprise and overnight you know, We asked them to deploy us to the entire workforce. Yet, we solve very important problem of them uh, that they thought uh, wasn't solvable the day before. So we talk with specific departments, say CFO's office. Uh, one, uh, for instance, problem that we solve is they, there are quarters, right? They have quarterly reports which cannot be revealed by the end before the end of quarters, but people are working on those reports the day before, the week before, two weeks before, and they share it on the boardroom, right those reports. but if it's revealed, uh, it's a big problem because the mandates that they kept uh, uh, secure secret until the quarterly report is due I mean until the quarter is over, so we solve that problem we make sure that they can securely consume it and work on it anywhere. They can even take it home to work. And uh, yet it remains secure. So this is one specific problem that we are helping with. So because we are so wide and distributed protection and uh, moves with the data, uh, we naturally help with, for instance, the remote workforce problem. So with us, you don't need to have a secure infrastructure in uh, in your home. So uh, You can be remote, you can be working from anywhere. Security uh, travels with the data, and in this uh, case, it needs to travel to wherever your employees are. And we make that happen. So those are kind of specific problems that we address and solve easily. But you need focus to find those problems, rather than try to sell your solution broadly to the entire industry, to the entire internal divisions of a particular enterprise.
0: And as your team scales going into, you know, the next six, 12, 18 months, what do you see the biggest challenges being? What are the things that, you know, the initiatives and the things you're thinking about throughout that process?
2: Obviously there's this uh, clear short term problem, right? So uh, we are in a uh, uh, time of uncertainty, right? So it's a natural uh, challenge to overcome. Uh, Yet, uh, you know, this remote workforce problem uh, is a major problem. Uh, Just to give you an example, one of our uh, clients, a a mid-sized medical billing uh, organization, they have said, you know, like over the last week, they have received, uh, uh, you know, the number of attacks coming in uh, just from China was in three digits. You know, they were initiated and, you know, they would be vulnerable if they didn't have a solution, a control, an encryption solution in place as their workforce uh, is everywhere, basically. There, there are short-term problems like that, but there are also long-term problems. So we, we are growing. Uh, we have seen some substantial traction in the last few months. And it, it seems like we'll be growing significantly in the next uh, few quarters, all the way to we have projections all the way to end of 2021. There's going to be an exponential growth. And the big problem is how do you, uh, you know, for me, how do I change my role? How do I, uh, quote unquote, replace myself, right? So that, you know, as a leader, I remain effective and I don't necessarily remain, uh, you know, adamant that I do a specific thing. I have to move to a new role, I have to move to a new function, and I have to solve that uh, internally. And also, as we grow, how do we integrate new people? I mean, so this is easier said than done because the num- when you're exponentially growing, the number of people you bring in, by definition, is more than the number of people you have on the team. So you think you have a culture, but overnight that culture may change, right? How do you retain that culture that you think is robust? And you have limited resources, right? So, uh, you know, growth. And challenges associated with the growth are going to be significant, and uh, you know we're going to be taking on those in the next uh, uh, you know year, year and a half. And uh, you know the market is transforming, right? I mean, one big example is again I keep referring to this remote workforce uh, problem, distributed workforce problem. The market changes and brings you a brand new problem overnight, and it becomes more difficult to adapt as your uh, uh, you know, size grows. Mm-hmm. So you have to uh, uh, address that issue as well. And uh, you know, I wish it didn't happen, but this remote workforce problem was a, uh, had a uh, in terms of business, had a positive impact on us. Because now there are all these new, new needs and all these immediate problems that uh, uh, we can solve and we are solving. Uh, but not every problem is necessarily like that, right? So tomorrow, it's, this thing uh, disrupted the business of many of the industries. So you have to be ready for that.
1: So we try to keep things chronological a little bit, but one of the things that we skipped over that with some of our guests, I mean, your, your story and what you're doing right now and everything is, um, there's so much detail and so much going on and so much excitement that, you know, we don't even have to talk about this up until now, but... You left Turkey and you went to MIT yep. which is a profound accomplishment that most people, you know, never achieve in their life. Were you set on MIT and, and did they contact you? How did that even happen from, you know, worlds apart?
2: Oh, it's uh, it's a great question. So, um, you know, obviously it was the, it, it is difficult and it was more difficult back then because uh, think of the time where you have to apply with a uh, a physical application form. Mm. You have to just send a letter to uh, the graduate schools that you apply, uh, you know, wait for a couple of weeks for them to send you the forms. You fill them up and send it back and wait uh, for them to respond to you. One of the things that I was fortunate about was that, uh, you know, the college uh, that I was attending, uh, it was one of the top ones. And, uh, you know, I had uh, precedent. I wasn't the first one going to a graduate school out of the region and the you know away overseas so we had uh, advice from uh, people who were graduated before us and especially if you're looking for an academic path it's it was fairly it's more difficult but it was fairly standard what you were supposed to do so um, you know i followed it and uh, you know uh, you know, I was lucky. I mean, I should. Have, I I was lucky to be admitted to uh, MIT. It wasn't the only place that I applied. I applied as a uh, graduate student to a variety of places, and you know that was one of the places that I got uh, an offer, and I uh, took it. So it was difficult, but uh, but yeah, as I I mean, I cannot claim to be the very first person. Uh, from my prior institution to achieve that. Hmm. So,
1: so the, the experience of, of going through uh, your degree and doing research mm-hmm. and studies there, being surrounded by other elite individuals who are top of their mm-hmm. field, you know, when the, when the um, best of the best come together, mm-hmm. what was that experience like? Was it somewhat humbling to some extent? Oh,
2: absolutely. So uh, it, it was, I mean, that's that's inspiring. I mean, I, I cannot think of a more inspiring place. It was uh, amazing, and... Uh, you know one of the there are a couple of misconceptions about mit so you know i mean don't get me wrong it is difficult people are super hard working okay so just to give you an example uh, i was in the office one christmas and my other office mates were there we were uh, working hard people think that it's super uh, extremely difficult you know uh, you're going to be uh, Uh, you know, grind, and it's going to be be super difficult. But, you know, you get the understanding that one of the most rewarding things is that you get to the understanding that if you do something, there's a right way of doing things. There's a right way of understanding things. And almost always, that right thing is the simple thing, okay? So it's not the complicated or the cumbersome way, but if you find the simple way, of uh, looking at things if you find that perspective, uh, that is the right way, and uh, the right way is the simple way. So it doesn't have to be very difficult. So with people surrounded I mean if you're surrounded by people with that understanding, it makes things simpler rather than more difficult for you. and you enjoy that you know elegance and uh, uh, beauty of uh, uh, you know how systems are supposed to work, how how you should, uh, you know, look at math, for instance. So, but it's important, as you mentioned, to have that level around you. Uh, And I was fortunate enough to have, uh, uh, you know, the very uh, smart people, and including my advisor, um, you know, his name was Robert Gallagher. He was one of the founders of uh, information theory. He was amazing. I mean, he almost, uh, almost always found that right perspective and pushed you to ask the right question until you find that correct, simple perspective. It's very challenging, but yet the end product is simple. It's not necessarily the most complicated thing in the world. That's an
1: interesting perspective because I think the most brilliant people that I've been fortunate to spend time with in my life can, can express the most complicated things in the most precise In simple ways and they tend to see the straight line through the zigzags that that we're trying to work through and i want to ask this question without putting words in your mouth which is going to be hard to um, express it as but you mentioned you know people working on christmas and it's not Mm -hmm. it wasn't quite as hard as what most people might perceive it to be and i think one thing that i've uh found in my experiences in life is that the things that were really really difficult as i was going through and i was seeing myself work Alongside other people that it wasn't as difficult for and wondering why Mm -hmm. and then the opposite of the spectrum working through things that came really easy to me. Other people were were struggling, Mm -hmm. but the the passion was the difference there So Mm -hmm. the things I was more passionate about it didn't matter how hard I was working because I wasn't concentrated on the moment Mm -hmm. Were the people there very passionate is that why it doesn't seem as difficult do you think
2: sure sure exactly? So you should do one of the things that you should do. I mean this is for everybody is find your strengths. That is the thing about education. I mean, if you don't constantly look for, uh, you know, what you're good at, what you're strong at, uh, it's not worth. I mean, you shouldn't look at uh, education as acquiring information. It's about the pursuit to find your strengths. And once you find that, uh, what you're good at, what you're strong at, the passion comes naturally. You get passionate about it. And once you're passionate about it, it's no longer work. It is your passion, it's it's just a hobby. You think of it as hobby. And you uh, solve problems when you're taking a shower. Uh, you know, you think about them when you're eating and, you know, they, they, they are with you, they are part of you. It was higher education, but it doesn't have to be higher education. Even, you know, uh, at lower levels, that should be the pursuit. I mean, that's the, most important part of training, I I I think. Because once you figure out what you're strong uh, at, whatever you're doing, you'll make the problem uh, and transform it in a way uh, that you can exploit your strengths. And it's almost always the case that you're going to come up with something original, something people uh, haven't thought about before. And, uh, you know, it leads to something, even if not, uh, e- even though it's not necessarily the solution of the problem that you started with. So it's very important.
1: Yeah. So brilliant people solve problems in the shower, Mike. You're working on solving the problem of taking showers. So we're slowly we're making progress. <laughs> that <towards Yeah>. brilliant. <laughs> we're cutting that. That was rough. We're that was a rough it. joke. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: but on that note. Yeah. I guess probably a good place to pivot towards some of our uh, final questions of the show, Emery. And and one of them is, hey, you just have any advice for our listeners out there? A lot of them young professionals, 25 to 35, working here at Columbus.
2: Sure, sure. So, um, you know, okay. So one thing that we have is, uh, you know, if we read around like social media, like the press, we come across people who are like wildly successful and, uh, you know, for instance, if you look at the very successful entrepreneurs, they say, hey, I skipped college, I skipped my education and, you know, here I am, I uh, uh, pursued, ran after my dreams and I became wildly successful, right? So uh, that may give the wrong message, okay? So that may give the message that it's gonna work for everybody. But the important thing is, like, it's uh, it's there's bias there, because there's a nice story there. They are covered, you know, more frequently. But for every one person like that who skipped, say, education, who skipped uh, the rigorous process that takes you to the path towards success, there are like millions of people who tried that route and they were unsuccessful and now they have nothing, right? So uh, if you look at okay, that's why these people are like quote unquote one in a million, right? So it's not necessarily the safest way to success. So there's pain towards success. You have to put your ten thousand hours even more, and you know understand something, become world class in something. Okay, so that's very important. That's the safest way. And you know if you look at uh, you know 99% of the successful people even though they think they don't get the same press coverage they are they have put their 10,000 hour okay they became experts they understood something in and out and uh, you know that's the path to th- their success and yet we cover that one person who skipped that and uh, you know they are obviously brilliant don't take me wrong but they were lucky, and they get the uh, spotlight. But that's not the way to do it. Uh, you know, my advice is, become world- class in one thing. Have focus, if needed, I mean, which is almost always the case. and become uh, the best at what you're doing. I mean, if you're not the best, at least try to be the best, and you know, uh, put those hours, uh, put that effort. Don't worry about you know, early on, you may sacrifice. I mean, don't look for like, uh, early rewards. I mean, hey, who's going to pay me? I mean, I'm 23. I'm working hard. Who's going to pay? Don't worry about that. Make sure that you become that world class, even if it means sacrificing some short-term, say, um, things in terms of uh, you know, your financial rewards and uh, even personal. OK? But once you get good at it, Uh, it will come, the reward will come to you, okay? So uh, that is the way to success. I mean, you have to be uh, one of those 99 people. The good news is they are uh, more frequent. There are more of them. Uh, You know, the bad news is you don't read about them, necessarily, uh, but they're around you. So uh, you should put that effort, there is no easy, I mean, it's a cliche, obviously. But, uh, you know, there's no easy way around it.
0: Perfect. And, I mean that's a good place to go to our last question of the show. It's, it's centered on the theme here on Conquering Columbus, and that is live uncomfortably. And without telling you too much about why we chose that particular phrase, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life and career?
2: Oh, live uncomfortably. So, uh, you know, you should – so the first thing that came to my mind is – I'm coming from an academic background, right? So my, uh, over the years, my comfort zone has been, hey, I mean, I've built stuff, but hey, focus on like academic solve problems, academic problems, research, uh, you know, train people to uh, uh, think fundamentally and so on. So uh, building a business took me out of my comfort zone. I had to be uncomfortable. You know, I was doing ma- many of the things that I was doing was uh, uh, early on making me uncomfortable because, you know, that wasn't something that I put my 10,000 hours on, right? So, I mean, I wasn't a good necessarily marketing person because, as an example, when you're an academic, you have, your job is to make things preci- precise, right? But marketing is not necessarily about making things precise. So uh, I'm not saying it's about lying, but you have to put some mystery. You have to keep certain things broad. You have to be specific about certain things, but very broad about this uh, other dimension so that people uh, have some mystery around it. I was uncomfortable doing that, right? So uh, selling a product wasn't my thing. I mean, it was easy. I, I wrote, sorry, I wrote mm-hmm. a paper. Uh, people read it. It was precise, people understood it, but selling is different. So uh, live uncomfortably means if you have dreams, you have to step away and step outside of your comfort zone every month in a while. Difficult at first, but work hard again toward your 10,000 hours uh, in that uncomfortable zone.
0: Perfect. Well, Emery, thanks so much for taking the time to tell your story here on the show. We really appreciate it.
2: It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Perfect. And Conquerors, thanks so much for tuning in. If you want to learn more about Dr. Emery Coxall and his team, check out the links that, well, might not be links down in the show notes anymore, but uh, check out their website, dataanchor.io. Reach out to us if you want to learn more. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you next week. All right, Conquerors, that's it for the episode today. As usual, thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate all of your support. Before we let you go, We want to take one last moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. Headquartered
1: here in Columbus, Ohio, one of our sponsors, Social Ventures. They offer resources, programs, and accelerators in social enterprise, and they act as a primary network for social enterprise activity in central Ohio. You can learn more at socialventurecbus.com. That's socialventurecbus.com.
0: And our next sponsor is FMX. FMX is a computerized maintenance management system that helps organizations accelerate their operational success. And FMX enables you to streamline processes, increase asset productivity, and turn actionable insights into meaningful results. If you'd like to learn more, check them out at their website, GoFMX.com. That's G-O-F-M-X dot Another one
1: of our sponsors is Path Robotics. Path Robotics is a robotics-based artificial intelligence company with a focus on the manufacturing sector. The company's mission is to make robotics simple and possible for companies of all sizes across their entire value chain. So present day, the company has developed the world's first and only fully autonomous welding robot. No humans, you pay as you go, and all you need to know is how to press the go button. You can learn more at path-robotics.com. That's P-A-T-H dot robotics.com.
0: You can drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get, you know, my head kicked in, in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done.
1: Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like.